Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 140 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Nathan Vega and Michelle Reese joining us from the Columbus Collaboratory. We're really excited to have them here on the show to talk about all the things their team is doing to drive innovation and bring talent, especially IT talent and cybersecurity talent here to the Columbus area. I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you'll learn a lot. Before we get to that, though, we want to take a quick moment to thank some of our sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we're really excited to have Michelle Reese and Nathan Vega joining us from the Columbus Collaboratory. And the Columbus Collaboratory is a rapid innovation firm that works with companies to create synergistic solutions to complex cybersecurity and analytics challenges based right here in Columbus. Michelle is their chief talent innovator, while Nathan is the VP of Product and Business Development. They've both got a wide range of experiences in their respective fields, 
We're really excited to have them here on the show to talk about how the Collaboratory is helping to drive innovation here in Columbus. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank yeah, you thanks for having us. us. Yeah, yeah so you guys braved the cold today to uh, come out and talk this evening. But we wouldn't, wouldn't have come tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a little freezing, but I uh, appreciate you taking the time. So first place we kind of like to start is talk a little bit about life prior to your current role. So maybe take a little bit of time. Tell us both uh, maybe some of your previous roles that you're really excited about and what kind of led you here. Maybe we'll start with Michelle. Sure. Thanks. It's, it's actually something that I often have to reflect on myself in terms of how I got where I am because I often say I'm a little bit of the which of these is not like the other. So I'm actually, I'm in an HR role now, but I'm a graduate from Case Western Reserve University in industrial engineering and uh, worked 20 years in management consulting and really in that process morphed my career from technology performance to process performance and eventually human performance. So I was always pretty fascinated by the notion of when we built things, it was um, that movie's line, you know, if they built it, they will come. And it really didn't happen. And so I thought, I want to really help the people adopt the technologies we're building. So that's, that's what inspired me to sort of make my way to the HR world. And then when I left management consulting, I found that I, that's the kind of person I fit into in, in uh, corporate America. So took, up, took, took a couple of jobs uh, like that in organizational effectiveness. I did a little more consulting, and when I was approached for this opportunity, it seemed like the perfect blend of technology and people performance, so that's why I chose it. Nathan? So uh, I uh, graduated from University of Cincinnati as a computer science major, started at IBM as a software engineer, did that role for uh, about four years before I realized I did not want to be the greatest software engineer on the planet, and I uh, really liked the action around customers and products. and. Uh, IBM sent me back to school. I got my executive MBA from Ohio State. I joined the Watson team in 2013, right after they had uh, performed the Jeopardy challenge. And I helped commercialize Watson as a set of APIs in the cloud to help developers bring cognitive applications to market. I joined uh, Bluemix, which is a, a platform as a service and help them commercialize and integrate uh, a company called SoftLayer, which is an infrastructure as a service to compete with Amazon. Uh, shortly thereafter, I uh, was, uh, became aware of a position here at, at Columbus Collaboratory and joined to, to help lead our product and marketing efforts and business development efforts. So kicking it back to you, Michelle, can you talk to us a little about your experience leading various companies from HR perspective, and then how does an effective HR process help to build a company? Sure, thanks. I think that you know, when I think about leading from an HR perspective, there's so much involved in HR. It's, it's very interesting. It's almost funny that it's wrapped into one terminology like that, um, because in a way it's like saying information technology. It's just such a broad field. So just to be clear, since I didn't grow up in the HR side of the business, the pieces that I um, did not grow up with were things that you think of like compensation structures and payroll and benefits administration, but those are really important. And as I thought about them uh, with respect to building a company, you have to have you know great mechanics and brass tacks there to take care of your people. Uh, the pieces that I gravitated to, uh, luckily through the, the technology work I was doing, had a lot more to do with organizational performance, how an organization is structured, how it's designed, how the leaders lead teams, and, and how teams are effective. And so those were the pieces that, um, that I was pretty interested in and that are also very important uh, in terms of leadership. So when I've been leading, it's mostly been through those, those modes. Um, 
also something people tend to call change management, which has a lot to do with how you bring people along through a change, as I mentioned before, getting them to want to use the technologies that are, that are coming along. And so from a, from a perspective of building a company, you do have to take care of all of the things from sort of the hire to retire phase. But when I think about what's most important and what the collaboratory has focused on, in addition, of course, to paying your people on time and regularly, which is really important. It's always a good plus. People, <laughs> yeah. like, people like that, I heard. Non-negotiable. Um, and especially in a startup, I think sometimes people worry about that. We've been in business four years and never had to worry about that. So it's been uh, a great non-problem to have, but it's important. And uh, the other two things I'd say that we really have focused on a lot, um, one stems from our collaboration, which is in our name, and that is we work collaboratively and we figure out a way to make that matter in our goals. And so while we pay for performance, we don't pay just for individual performance. We pay for how that team is effective together and that's in a very tangible and measurable way in our goals. And we cascade that through our, throughout our organization. The second thing I think that's uh, really important is how do we establish and live our values? And you know, when you start in a company, you have that chance of a blank slate um, to decide what it is you're going to be and how you're going to how the world's going to see you, and so that's a, a great opportunity that Nathan and myself and our colleagues had a chance to all work on. Essentially, is establishing what those values are and then how we're going to make them come to life. And of course, we try to live them every day, but we have to check on that. Uh, we apply for things like a best place to work um, for a young company. I've been fortunate enough to get that um, at least nominated for that every every year that we've been in business. Yeah, I'd almost argue that HR is more broad stroking than IT. I mean, theoretically, IT is a rational basing system. Humans are uh, consistently irrational. So yeah. to try to successfully manage that, we have a roundtable here uh, once a month for about two hours. And last night, we just talked about culture the entire time. Mm -hmm. And it's just all SaaS founders who are two hours of pure struggles of everything that they're facing in that in that area. So that's, that's pretty intriguing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it's definitely a mouthful to say I'm in human resources. I think Michelle does a good job too. I think HR in the past sometimes has been more about protecting the company than the individuals. And I think Michelle has established a good practice here at, at the collaboratory. And in general, you just see the market shifting a little bit to thinking about how are we gonna provide a great work environment for people. Some of that is below employment numbers and things like that. But um, you know, that's, that's one of the areas where I think uh, Michelle and, and the leadership team have done a great job to try for, to think about how do we create a, a, a positive, innovative work environment, right? And that's, um, that's not always easy to do. Yeah, Nathan, I guess a question for you, coming from your previous roles, would be folks more around you. I mean, you've worked on some pretty impressive teams, IBM's Watson, you mentioned Amazon, a couple others. How have you taken, I guess, the cultures and the things that you saw there from from their teams and help to apply it with the collaboratory and the teams you're working with today? Well, a couple of things I learned on Watson was, it was a very cool project to work on because it was a small number of people. It was about 200 people on that, that small in IBM um, before they created a division out of it. And what I learned there was there is a fast fail notion that, that does exist. And this ability to give people some freedom to take risks uh, and um, that being driven purely by uh, what does the financial model say um, can lead you to miss opportunities? And so learning that and seeing it happen on Watson and then in a um, blue mix and cloud platforms where 
Um, people really believed in it. They knew that was an opportunity space. It was hard to define because these are new markets and new products that people had never heard of. That, that's one of the things I think taking out of there and bringing it to the collaboratory. And then, and then I think we're trying to do that and address our cyber products in the way that we address the cyber market similarly and thinking about some of those elements. And the, the thought of throwing that mix into uh, a resource-constrained business ecosystem like a startup has got to be you know, a very difficult thing to juggle. Um, and we'll probably just keep doing the ping pong thing, questions back and forth here. So then, Michelle, to kick it back to you, what are some of the projects you guys are working on at the collaboratory and um, relating that? How do you think that we can bring more tech talent to the Midwest? That's my favorite thing to talk about. So uh, thanks for asking. And I think Nathan and I will probably ping pong this one ourselves because, um, interestingly, you know, you, you kind of think that a talent person or my service line would be the thing really working on the talent problem or the talent opportunity in, in our community. But really, I'm only part of the equation with the collaboratory. And we very much see our technology solution as also helping to solve the talent crisis that's facing cybersecurity. And so um, I think we'll both want to address that. But from the, uh, I guess, from the people perspective and those programs, uh, I'll address that side. We have two signature programs that we've been running for a couple of years now. One is a cyber rotation analyst uh, program. And it is, it is uh, Boy, if I could just do my career over uh, in a heartbeat, I would be in this program. I think when I tell you about it, you can imagine why. So we've been able to hire people, generally college grads is who we've targeted. And the reason we did that is there's actually a space in cybersecurity that they weren't exactly sure what to do with a freshly minted non-cyber trained but college grad uh, because there are great roles to come in that didn't require that level of education and then there's really great roles in cyber that really need more experience and so they're like gosh what do we do with just a bright person who just doesn't know a lot about this field and so the vision of our board really was to create a rotation program where they said we as the chief information security officers see the need to um, mint these people fairly quickly and help them in a talent acceleration program, help them jump uh, the number of years of experience it would normally take to get to that higher level job. And so together we've worked on this program for the last four years. We've had two classes of um, analysts go through it. And so it's not an internship. I mean, it is a fully paid uh, job that we've had to compete with other offers that these students get for full engineering jobs, you know, all kinds of things. Um, we've had physics majors, engineering grads, computer science, some people with cyber, person out of tech elevator. And it is such a fascinating and uh, once in a lifetime opportunity. We've been able to draw people in from California, uh, the DC area, from Texas, Indiana, and of course our own Ohio. So it's just been um, a tremendous opportunity to see these folks um, go through this program where they spend 10 to 12 weeks at every one of our member companies basically learning a different aspect of cybersecurity. There's a framework out there called NIST um, and they rotate and learn a different aspect of cybersecurity at every company. And you're, you, you know, I actually was offered a job for a management trainee program, but it was in one company when I graduated. This is in seven. And so, I mean, the people are just salivating at the opportunity to get in, and we pay them a really nice wage. Um, so that's been a tremendous opportunity. Uh, we've had two classes graduate. 12 out of 13 uh, folks were placed in one of the member companies and, and one in our, in our company. And so it's just been um, 
again, an opportunity of a lifetime that I wish was there when I was <laughs> getting out of college. So that's in the acceleration side. Uh, real quickly, we also have a talent um, upskilling uh, program that's really meant for incumbent workers who are in our member and non-member companies, and that's called Learning Circles. And so this is a collaborative learning environment where, again, we're taking advantage of that cross-member and cross-industry um, framework that really you don't get in most places. And they're doing some self-directed and team-directed work, producing a deliverable, and we're finding not only are they upscaling their technical skills, they're becoming more collaborative, they're working on some leadership and management skills because they have to plan all those activities. And then finally, um, they're also building what we call learning muscle. It's something you, all of us will know, we have to learn how to learn and not sit back anymore and wait for a professor to come in and sort of teach us what they think we should know. And so they're learn, bu building that learning agility for the future. And so we really look at it as positioning them with one technical skill, but really launching them uh, for the next, hopefully, five to 10 years. You know, Michelle's right. We, 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 can, we can try to skill up people. We have college programs that are trying to build them. But the shortage is just so immense right now that the ability to bring those people to bear in the market is, is going to be too slow. There's, a, I think, according to the Cyber Momentum 2018 Almanac, there's 747,000 open jobs in the United States today, and 1.8 million will be available by 2022. So there aren't enough programs, or, and upskilling is, is one way that we're going to bring some in there, but there's just going to continue to be a big shortage. So some of the things that, that we think about when we're designing our products, designing our services, is um, how do we bring along either um, people who don't have necessarily all that deep expertise, or how do we, how do we help um, remove them from the loop so that we can put people in the higher value jobs? Um, one of the challenges in cybersecurity alone is that a lot of the work that's done is, is, uh, is looking at effectively research, looking at alerts, triaging things, right? These, this is not high value work for people, especially when there are so many false positives. So we think about how do we, how do we make more with less and how do we put people in the decision making roles and take off some of that effort and work. And I think that we're gonna have to see um, those types of efforts combined with what Michelle and upskilling, these rotation programs are doing, the new university programs, I think we're gonna have to see a, a confluence of all of those things together to try to overcome these barriers. Um, just because the numbers are staggering. And the impact on Columbus specifically, or maybe the Midwest, can we talk a little more about that? You mentioned the shortage and the impact that it's mm -hmm. having, but uh, other than drawing different programs from the, the collaboratory, what type of impact are we seeing here locally and, and, and what industries are affected the most? Sure. So a, a little anecdote I, I like to give. I was like the first one on the phone at 4 o'clock in the morning to own, uh, get an iPhone 10. Right, and I was very excited about this iPhone 10. It had the facial ID in it, and I was excited about getting there. I started re I got in line. I had to wait two weeks or something to get the phone. I started thinking about what that actually meant to me. Um, what am I trading off the convenience to be able to look at my phone and pay and open it uh, in terms of security? Right? Could somebody open the phone when I'm dead? I, I don't know. So I went and had to go look, and I got out. Of, I actually dropped my pre-order. I did some research. I got back in line. I lost three months. And the point isn't really that I lost three months getting a phone from a vendor that I largely, you know, uh, trust in Apple. It's that if you think about that and you transport it to a business, these that the CIOs and the CISOs, they have hundreds or thousands of vendors. They have hardware, 
mobile devices, software, applications, people bringing their own devices into work. Right? So try to take that and scale it to an enterprise and now ask these people to go be fast at something. I want you guys to adopt IoT. I want you to put AI into the business. Right? And, and so what happens is they can't keep up with the pace of the technology. They don't have enough people to do all of that research and ask the right questions or even know what questions to ask. And so um, it makes incumbents susceptible to disruptors who have less skin in the game, less risk out there to go ahead and make some of those chances and put those things in. Um, you have firms that maybe aren't as, uh, as well resourced, maybe not large enterprises. You have medium level firms. Think of credit unions and smaller banks. They have all of the same regulations as the big guys, but they don't necessarily have the resources or staff to actually keep up with it. And then you look at um, places that are um, having downstream impacts from a vendor standpoint. So uh, if I'm a large vendor and I have, uh, or a large company and I have hundreds of vendors that supply me, we call them third parties. Well, those third parties are now being asked to do their own assessments of what their, their businesses are because we are more connected now as businesses, right? We have, we're connected through billing systems, through APIs, through um, different ways to uh, you know, make orders happen, things like that. So, so when you start to put those together, what happens in Ohio, you have a number of, um, that's a very large manufacturing organization. That's a, that's a set of organizations that typically haven't been security sensitive. But now you look at Maersk, right? They shut down the ability for them to ship 20% of the world's uh, goods simply by a ransomware attack. So they're very susceptible to things like that, shutting down the operation, uh, and, and so they're susceptible to those things. Smaller firms in, in the Midwest, susceptible to not having the resources to, to pay for the, uh, the ability to get the, the resources they need. And so those are the things that you, you'll start to see um, as, a, as an impact to the Ohio area uh, and, and, and businesses in general. I read an article the other day called Software is Eating the World or something along those lines. It was about you know, basically the idea that all the platforms and tools that we use as an economy and as businesses now turn into a form of a software product. And then like how our dynamics are changing. So like our business environment 100 years ago and the manufacturing and different situation, our tools were real tools and now everybody's doing everything through software as a service. So it's like, from my perspective, just now watching this unfold, seeing all these new roles pop up that nobody knew even would ever exist or that we'd ever be in this position and the economy is just kind of changing so quickly. How do you guys think that in Columbus in general, we're going to be able to keep up with that moving forward. Like, what are the big stones that you see moving ahead that we have to get over in order to be successful with, uh, I guess, keeping with what's happening? So adding to that, I, I guess it's a similar theme. I still think that we think we can only throw people at that problem, and I think we're going to have to get more comfortable in um, augmented jobs, you know, jobs where part of our work is done by a machine perhaps and then we have to be willing to do a different job so that we don't do that piece of it but we can't solve it all with humans not not with where the growth rates are headed and um, I actually heard a, a piece this morning that said you know not to get political or anything but just that people are gonna have to choose between um, whether or not immigration matters for from a job standpoint and I thought that was that was an interesting way of looking at it because they said we're just not gonna be able to manufacture enough people. The and is, can we, can we do more with less, back to Nathan's point. So I, I'm not sure if that's answering exactly what you were looking for, but. Yeah, I wasn't. I, not, I didn't have any answer in mind yeah. in particular, so I think it's, it did well for me. Yeah, I think it makes sense, so I, I see where you're going. Yeah, well, one of the things you've been through, I mean, I, mean, I, I bet you could go through 
uh, a number of keynote presentations across a variety of industries and probably quote some CEOs saying something akin to, we're not a whatever business, we're a technology business. We're not a car business, we're a technology. We're not an insurance firm, we're a technology firm, right? And it's because everything is powered by software. I mean, why, of course you need a, a toothbrush that's connected to Bluetooth, right? And that I can control with my phone. Why wouldn't I have that? And that's another piece of it that's, that's creating some of the shortage, whether it's IT professionals or security professionals in general, is everybody is driving some technology piece or platform. And so that does create some of those, those uh, challenges. I think some of the things that we can do in Ohio, I, I think we're, we're on a good path. I think collaboration is important. I think we have to work together with, the, with our firms. I think Smart Columbus is doing some great work trying to put out some ability for companies to work together uh, on how do we uh, move people in and out of Columbus in a, in a, in a good way. Right? We have so many people moving into Columbus uh, and a city that wasn't organized to, to handle all those. We have a sprawl, right? How are we going to get people into downtown to work? Uh, those, those are some fundamental questions that need to be asked. So I think this collaboration, this notion of um, even how the collaboratory was formed with seven firms coming together and, and trying to drive synergies across um, the group, I think Columbus has a great opportunity with um, the ecosystem of, of universities that are here, the ecosystems of business, and the ecosystem of research institutes when you think um, that's very big here. I think when you put those together, and thinking about how we solve some of the big challenges, especially for Ohio and, and for the way we work in central Ohio, I think those are, those are some things that we'll have to see um, really come to fruition, and I, but I think they're on a good path. This is a question that's kind of off of our outline, but it's, it's something that just kind of popped in my head from what you just said, and it focuses more on, you know, with, within the community, right, we're doing, we're doing well, but within individual businesses, maybe some of us aren't doing as well what are some of the things that they can do to make sure they're not left behind as Columbus continues to grow? So I, I think back to Nathan's point on collaboration, that some of that can be solved um, by not always reinventing the wheel. And luckily there are some, uh, we have one that Nathan might talk about later called an Information Security Analysis, is that right, organization? I so. Right. And that's a cross-industry group that doesn't, isn't reserved for just big companies where they can do knowledge sharing on some of these topics, for example. I think this notion, and that's, again, why we were formed, was it doesn't make sense to reinvent the wheel uh, even for these large companies. Why would you spend all this money, um, everyone trying to solve the same types of problems? And so luckily there are a lot of forums out there for knowledge sharing for one and for cooperation, especially in, in the security industry, if you would add to that. Yeah, I, well, I think uh, I like the ISAO as a collaboration vehicle because it it's meant to collaborate at varying levels in the organization, and I think that's another big part of having success is having collaboration happen um, not in one isolated place but across the organization. So whether it's um, practitioners sitting down together and talking about their challenges as uh, as they work through tools and doing their job or threat intelligence professionals working together to be better at their jobs and finding what the real threats are out there uh, amongst the noise or CISOs sitting around and talking about what strategies they're putting in place to handle things like IOT or, or um, you know, new machine learning models or cloud platforms. It, when you start to collaborate at a variety of sets of the organization, it opens up new opportunities for them not to just learn, but also work together on things and potentially even, you know, bring things together to market. And I think um, so. That's 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 got to be part of it. It's it's you got to we got to figure out where the right spots are. How do we take um, competitive advantage uh, off the table where it's appropriate and 
and collaborate to, uh, to be better at whatever we're trying to accomplish. And just to add one more thing, there are organizations who are focused on that. Uh, there's an organization in higher ed that helps them, you know, vet vendors and, and not necessarily reuse software, but at least not all have to start from scratch. Uh, there's something where, you know, the Attorney General was, uh, for the state of Ohio, was concerned about the same thing. How do I help these smaller organizations? There's a um, Ohio Cyber C uh, Security Collaboration Consortium, I believe it's called OC3, and they get together with people from varying um, levels of expertise, if you will, and also are focused on developing a pipeline of professionals and safe spaces for people to test these products and things like that. So there are a lot of people, to your point, um, concerned about how do we help the little guys too, you know. I think an interesting dynamic moving forward, I've had a couple conversations, it could just be um, coincidence, but people who are now moving back to Columbus after losing, leaving to bigger cities like Chicago, New York City, San Francisco, and they're finding themselves 28, 29 and above with a pretty good skill set under their belt, but wanting to come back here to start their families and all that. So young professionals in their very early career leaving the city and then transitioning back to Columbus because they realize all the opportunities and potential here, and then how that dynamic will transition into the businesses that we're building today and what skill sets we'll have and, and where we'll have strengths. I'm just really interested to see how that kind of plays out. For you and your team, though, going back to that, what are your goals for the next three to five years as we're looking ahead? Sure. So from a... Um from a work perspective for the company and, and for us personally? Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, for one, we are on a path to sustainability. We have had investment uh, from our founding members for the last number of years. And while we're returning their investment to them, we're also building a path to sustainability, being an independent company where our income comes from revenue um, sold to commercial customers. And, and Nathan can talk you know, extensively about that. So that's, uh, we're on a, a very large trajectory to um, move that, that path looks very exponential right now. So that's a big growth um, strategy and then we have specific strategies under that. From a personal standpoint, I guess on the talent side, we're definitely looking at ways to increase scale and scope and speed um, because we do a lot, but we're somewhat human dependent in our offerings. And so I don't know yet if that means automating some of our offerings and offering more of them virtually. Um, Nathan and I have talked about ways that uh, the talent function can help even our cybersecurity products be more, uh, you know, self-sustaining self in the sense that they don't always have to have a person explaining how to use them. So I think we have a lot of ways that uh, I'm personally trying to figure out how to help with our scale and speed and scope, as I mentioned. Yeah, uh, and corporately drive sustainability. That's going to be my role and own sort of go-to-market aspects between products and marketing, and then and business development. So driving sustainability for the firm uh, is number one, and and number two, I think um, we have some products that that I'm excited about. I think that we are tapping into a space um, around vulnerability management as a service, and some of the other things where I think we're we're, we're trying to. Uh, take the innovation we have and be able to apply it to some of those firms that we just talked about earlier that don't have necessarily all the resources they can. So how can I take vulnerability management as a service and give it to you at a reasonable cost and take that off of your plate, right, uh, so that you can do it well? Because if you're going to do two things well in cybersecurity, it's good credentialing and good vulnerability management. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't do either. And so we're, we're looking at how can we take some of the innovation we have, apply it to spaces that need them, uh, in a way that they can, that it's accessible, 
uh, as, as well as keep working on some of the super sophisticated stuff. We're kind of, in my opinion, kind of bifurcating the market. I want to be way up at the top and thinking about really cool stuff uh, with AI and machine learning and at the bottom thinking about how do I create automation, how do I create simple synergies, how do I bring um, jobs or roles that we could hold together in, in one spot as a, as a collaborative and then uh, and then give them out as a sort of a resource on demand. Or if we can do that, that solves some of the resourcing challenges and, and, and if you can scale it and um, I think those, if we can accomplish those things, I'd feel pretty good. And then personally speaking, I, I think about, um, I've been looking at cyberspace and, and doing work in it for about three years now. Uh, I have no intentions of, of trying to go anywhere else and at this point. I'm, I'm really fascinated with cybersecurity and uh, I get fascinated with markets just in general, but just the way that it is structured and the tools and the people and uh, so I, I'm just going to keep learning in that space. Uh, so I'm reading a book on CISO strategies right now. See, See if I can learn something in there. I'm sure I will. Off the cuff question on uh, artificial intelligence. When do you think we'll see the world's first artificial super intelligence? Oh, I uh, now I can now I've opened up a rabbit hole. So <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I mean I th I think my opinion in that space is largely uh, going to be just on how you define what super intelligence is. I think we have a lot of intelligent systems out there that understand a variety of pieces, whether that's um, an ability to understand somebody's tone or sentiment uh, or understand what they're saying uh, and being able to respond. We have, they're getting better at things that can generate responses based on inputs and outputs or even getting able to actually chain some things together uh, and, and actually keep context over the course of a couple of conversations. That literally has started happening in the last six months. If you look at, I think Alexa was the one that had an update there. I can ask it like three questions and now it'll real remember what I asked three ago. Right, so, we have the parts and pieces for some of these things around getting them all together in the right spot and for the right purpose with the right use. I, I, I don't know if I have a great answer for it, um, but I but I think you know real true decision making automated and on its own. I haven't based on the things I've seen. I haven't really seen that stuff. I think we're we're very much in a place where AI uh, and machine learning do a a great job of automating some of the most mundane tasks we do and then representing what a really an intelligent assistant right I, I, I think we talk often about uh, you know kids these days will never know a world without mobile phones is, is a common phrase I think you heard a few years ago right I would say kids today will never know a world without an intelligent assistant and I think that in and of itself is actually one of the more impressive things um, the amount of knowledge that they have at their fingertips to talk about whether it's the weather, news, articles, uh, look up this, get me an Uber, all these, the accessibility that um, helps divide, bridge that digital divide between people with disabilities, people of lower incomes, uh, to that in and of itself to me is probably the most impressive part. And that's probably where you start to see a lot of the more advances is how these intelligent assistants start to look and feel more like that Jarvis you would see on Iron Man or something. But um, when that will happen, I'm not quite sure. It's not quite your answer to that question, but it is fascinating to me. We're dealing with sort of the entry-level parts of those questions now. For example, just in assigning bots passwords or bots IDs, so bots are helping workforces, and they're essentially an electronic worker. And so we have the same, some of the same challenges with managing a workforce that's now partially automated. So it's just, um, you know, so I, I hate to say it, but there's some basic stuff that we have to get right first too. 
So one of the areas I'd be curious about, you know, encapsulating everything we've covered today, what is what are the trends the global spend in cybersecurity? Like, where is that going and how is it unfolding? Uh, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I, um, when I look at the cybersecurity market, the, the one thing that makes me really fascinated about it is just how siloed the market is. Um, if you look at uh, 2004, there was about $3.5 billion spent globally on cybersecurity. In 2017, there was $120 billion spent. Uh, over the next five years, companies will spend a trillion dollars on cybersecurity. So that's over $200 billion a year. Um, I'd, I'd ask anybody, do you feel safer today with your data than you did yesterday? And I, I'd say probably not. And, um, you know, so I think when we look at the market and the way it has generally been structured, um, it's very siloed in terms of the way the tools are designed. Uh, I think of it kind of like the cell phone market. Almost everybody has kind of the top three or four way up at the top that are very expensive, and then there's a whole bunch of people down below, and you don't know what you're getting. And so I think what we'll, we'll start to see, especially in this year and beyond, is probably a lot more mergers and acquisitions that will occur. Uh, that's, that's pretty common knowledge, I think. But I, but I, start to, I think that we're going to start to see more and more a requirement around how these tools operate together. Uh, and, uh, and when you think about the way that they're, the general sets of tools have been built, they are all alert-driven. Uh, the average enterprise having 71-plus tools deployed, uh, the average tool giving you about 10,000 alerts today, hundreds of thousands of alerts. Um, we're going to have to figure out how we do that better. We're going to have to start to put those things um, into a better context for people. I think that's where AI and machine learning become very powerful. So I think we'll see the market start to shift to a little bit of consolidation. I think we'll see tools um, that are less defined in terms of I do just endpoint and I do vulnerability only. And I think we'll start to see that um, we'll start to layer sophistication and start to layer intelligence on top to really start to put amalgamation of those things together, really give a better context of what is my real risk. And I think that's the question most companies are asking. What is my risk? And, and oftentimes they either think about it as financial risk as a CFO, or they think about it as cyber risk as a CISO, or um, some other form of that across the board. But I think they're really starting to ask the question in general. What is my, what is my risk posture? And I think cybersecurity being a part of that conversation becomes a board level conversation, becomes a board level topic, and the firm starts to really think about it. So I think, so I think the confluence there is lots of money coming in, lots of people not feeling as secure as they did the next day, products and services that start to work better together, intelligence layered on top, and, um, and more resourcing and understanding from not just a um, security practitioner level, but from an individual level as well as from a board level. When we're talking billions and trillions of dollars, who are the people that are threatening the cybersecurity? Like, who are the people on the other end of this? Yeah. Um, so generally, yeah, there, there are, uh, we, we like to talk about them, I, I, we call them rational actors. I mean, they are, um, these are, these are criminals, of course, but they're doing a job. They're clocking in, right? They, they, they clock in and they want to they wanna steal some, some money. They want some Bitcoin. They want something from you. And one of the things that, that I think is really important, why I do a lot of these conversations, I want to drive awareness. I want people to know that these people are out there because you can make a difference, right? I can, I can use good passwords. I can not use the same password in every spot. I can ask some of those questions like, is my iPhone 10 going to open up when I'm dead, right? Th those things, just as an individual level, as people start to think about them, they can then make a slight adjustment. Those slight adjustments make a difference, right? There's a reason that we put locks on bikes. It's not because the, bi the bike is permanently affixed there. It, it just makes it a little harder for the, the thief to steal it. And that's 
that's generally the people out there that we're dealing with, these rational actors. You do have some people that are, that are um, not like that, state-owned and state actors and things like that, but in general context, the, the, the people that are, they're, they're clocking into a job and just trying to, to, to extract a little bit of money, and this is the way that they go to work. I think they're I think Bitcoin's the wrong target. <laughs> Trust me on that one. I don't, I don't think they should be aiming for that anymore. You but. might have some to give them. Yeah, yeah they, they can have mine. It's yeah. all theirs. <clears throat> no, it's a good point, though. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so another question we wanted to ask is really centered around how people are, you know, bringing talent into the Columbus area. What are we, what are we doing to help people along the path of relocating? Yeah, I appreciate that question because early on in our uh, tenure with the collaboratory, we were very focused on helping our members, especially in cybersecurity and data analytics in those two fields. And I think uh, one of the myths that we were really able to dispel on this topic, and in fact, it was funny, I heard it again today because uh, it's folklore, is that people don't move to Ohio, and in particular Columbus, because of the weather. And so one thing we like to study things, right? So we did a primary research study. We, there were all kinds of studies out there about people relocating, and they knew that they relocated for work. Well, we said, well, we sort of get that. You know, sometimes they relocate for school or because of parents' work. But we said, we're not interested in why they re relocate. We want to know why they would or wouldn't relocate for work. So assuming work is the driver. And so it started that question off at a very different point. Well, we quickly dispelled the weather myth. People, it was not correlated to people's reasons for not moving. And so you hear it, but it's, it's a story we should stop telling ourselves, especially about Ohio. And in fact, um, the gentleman who responded this morning, uh, it was uh, Alex Fisher, the CEO of the Columbus Partnership, he said, we have four seasons. Like, yes, let's talk about those things. And so I think some of this is let's tell ourselves a better story. Uh, other things we found, though, is that they, and these were, again, technical people, generally speaking, um, but they care a lot about cost of living. And we have a fabulously low cost of living. Um, number two, I think, perhaps in the uh, Midwest, if I'm not mistaken, and it's, it's quite enviable. And so that's, a, and all those facts are out there on a, a CBUS region uh, site and easily and easy to find. And so one of the things we did to help our members early on was dispel some of the myths, talk about what mattered, give them facts to back that up. Another example of that was people tend to move where there are jobs in the fields they care about. And so we were looking at that, and Pennsylvania, for example, had shrinking jobs in cybersecurity, while Ohio had growing jobs quantity-wise in cybersecurity. Guess what? Pennsylvania has a ton of schools graduating people with cybersecurity degrees. So we wrote an entire blog for them called Pinpointing Pennsylvania to say, go after those kids, because we have a great story to tell. Our job market is growing. And so people follow people. People obviously want to know that if for some reason, especially if they're moving, that job A doesn't work out or they don't love it, that there is a job B. And so some of this is find the facts, tell the right stories, be proud of who we are. And um, the last thing I would say for the companies is tell that story early and often. Because when we did talk to our um, associates, they said, yeah, we're telling that Columbus story, but we sort of wait till the offer's in their hand, and then we send them a packet about how great Columbus is. We're like, mm, a little late. 
Let's do that when we're first finding them and first recruiting them with, and have the conversations with the managers and not just from some amorphous HR person, you know, when you finally got an offer in hand. So I think it's a, we have a wonderful story to tell here and we just need to work on telling it. I guess that's a good place to kind of pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. It's, it's centered around theme here and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you either of you too much about why we chose that phrase, what do you think of when you hear the words and how does it apply to your life in the collaboratory? So live uncomfortably? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think you can have change without being uncomfortable. Uh, and so to me, uh, I, I like to affect change uh, on myself, especially, and uh, my family would argue as well. Um, you know, I, I think you have to be uncomfortable so that you can transform, so that you can be better, so that you can learn and be, be more than you are today. So I try to live uncomfortably, uh, and I, I think, you know, taking on new jobs, learning new skills, uh, trying to be in new areas, new companies, those types of things, doing podcasts you've never done before. Um, these are these are things that help you grow. So I think about living uncomfortably as a, as, a, as a way to continue being better tomorrow than you are today. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I guess I've tried to, even maybe without knowing I was trying, do as much of that in my personal life so that the work things are also easier to take on. And so I think of myself sometimes as a change junkie, but it's because I have some other really nice, stable pieces in my life. And so I won't pretend that um, there aren't a few nice, comfortable pieces that make everything else possible. Uh, one example of that is my husband and I uh, move quite a bit around Columbus, and people like say, "Why? Are you, where are you going? And are you going again?" And <laughs> the answer is yes. We've tried a number of things. We said, "Well, what would happen if we just put our house on the market and then moved into this house that we're flipping? What would that look like?" And so we've just tried different things like that. And I think, um, you know, again, I'm talking to all men, but uh, some of our listeners will appreciate this uh, one of the houses we were remodeling I was nine months pregnant we had no bathroom on the second or first floor and you have to get up a couple of times to go to the <laughs> restroom in the middle of the night that's just an example if I was pretty uncomfortable walking down two flights of stairs with no handrails and nine months pregnant I but it builds character and so I think that's you know one of those examples that um, you just have to take chances and have some fun with it and I think as long as you have a few pieces and few people in your life that are your ground um, then it's easy to take take chances with the rest well, those are both great answers and Michelle and Nathan thanks a lot for joining us on the show today thank, thank you for our sharing. pleasure thanks for yeah and conquerors thanks a lot for tuning in that was Michelle and Nathan from the Columbus collaboratory and if you guys want to learn more about the collaboratory or anything we talked about today check out the show notes down below Give us a like, share the episode with your friends, and again, thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support, and every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. 
you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.